Hey friends, it's me, Tangia Renee with That's What She Did Podcast, and I am excited to introduce you to our episode sponsor, History Colorado. I love a great museum, and History Colorado is one of my favorites. At eight museums across Colorado, including the Center for Colorado Women's History in Denver, the team at History Colorado wants you to discover a personal and powerful connection. Plus, their incredible Bold Women Change History series is coming back this fall of 2021. Their members support local artists and designers, after-school programs for working families, and educators working with at-risk youth. Find your history at historycolorado.org. Hey there, Inspiration Junkies. It's me, Tangia Renee. And before we get to the show, I'm going to quickly ask for a favor. If you're a fan of the show, we could really use your support. We have a big goal of building resources that will help more women of color and non-binary people amplify their work and leverage the power of their stories through guest blogging and vlogging and storytelling and PR training. We need to do two simple things to make that happen continue to grow our audience so we can get more stories into more ears and fund a new website that makes blogging, vlogging, and training possible and easy. Now there's two simple ways that you can help us out right now and help make that happen. First, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually do go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile and leave us a written review, they help even more. The second thing you can do is go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tangia Renee and simply buy the show a coffee. It's that simple. All proceeds from Buy Me a Coffee go towards amplifying the voices of more brilliant women. Really simple, easy peasy, just the way I like it. Leave us a review and consider buying us a coffee. Thanks so much for your support and for continuing to share our work. Smooches! You're listening to That's What She Did Podcast. I'm your host, Tangia Renee. That's What She Did Podcast is a show about the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you probably don't already know. And I'm crazy excited to have you here because this is season seven, the Movement Makers Edition. All season long, we're bringing you incredible, impactful women who are finding cool and innovative ways to move their communities forward. They're creating movements one way or another. I'm so excited to have you here. If you find value here, please consider sharing this show with your friends because that helps us grow and head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Renee and you can buy the show a coffee. All proceeds for this show go to amplifying the voices of more impactful women. Thank you for joining us and let's get started. Welcome back to season seven of That's What She Did podcast, the movement maker season. I am thrilled to introduce you to our guest, Marcia Chong Rosado. Originally from Guayaquil, Ecuador, Marcia moved with her family at a young age to Boston, which she now calls home. Having lived the immigrant experience in America, Marcia became passionate about venture capital, understanding that investing equitably has the power to transform entire communities. These days, Marcia focuses her passion in her work with Village Capital, where she leads fintech accelerator programs and builds communities of startups, early stage investors, corporates, nonprofits, and allies addressing economic mobility, financial health, and community resilience. I'm so happy to have her here with us to share about investment in the new justice tech industry, a new sector of technology startups focused on addressing problems faced by people who have been arrested, are incarcerated, or formerly incarcerated. She is a hardworking part of a larger team with the ultimate goal to determine how they can mobilize capital towards justice tech solutions and startups. It's a fascinating and innovative approach to creating justice for the formerly incarcerated and incarcerated. And you should not miss it. 
we talk a lot about social justice on this show, and we have also talked a lot about the criminal justice system in the United States. I use the term justice loosely here. And if you are interested in those topics, if you've loved those topics in the past, you are going to be fascinated by today's conversation because justice tech really is a a niche growing new industry. And until recently, most of us have probably never heard of it. So you're going to learn something new today. Let's not waste any more time and let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to That's What She Did podcast. It's me, your host, Tangia Renee, and I have another incredible woman of impact to introduce you to this week. This week, I have Marcia Chang-Rosado. She is the Director of Economic Opportunity at Village Capital, working on many things, but the thing that we're going to focus on today is Justice Tech Startups and all of the work she's doing there to bring money into an entrepreneurial space that's really focused on changing the justice system and how incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people are able to get on with their lives and get their lives together following, I don't want to use the word intervention because that seems too soft, following engagement, following incarceration, following getting caught up in the system, right? So that's what we're here to talk about today. Welcome, Marcia. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much uh, for creating this space and for inviting me to be here. I think spaces for women and women of color are so important. (laughs) So yeah, really excited. Definitely my pleasure. So Marcia, you and I just got connected very recently, like within the last couple of weeks. And it was through Twitter. I saw a post, I believe it was a Forbes article that said something about justice tech startups. And I was like, what the heck is a justice tech startup? (laughs) Because I don't know anything about it. So of course I read the article. It's a short article, but I was really intrigued and really interested in learning more. And I was surprised to learn sort of how big the ecosystem is entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs of color, coming into criminal justice and saying, there's a way through business and through tech that we can start to change this narrative and put people in a much better position to be functioning members of our society, which clearly isn't going to happen on its own. And so there's all these ways to use tech to do that. And Village Capital, which is the, is it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, it's an accelerator. Is that right? An investment accelerator? Yeah, we're a funky organization. We run accelerator programs and we're structured as a nonprofit. And we also have an affiliated venture capital fund. And we also have a, a, as of last year, what we call a family of funds that we're building out to deploy capital. So we operate in a couple of different ways. But this Justice Tech project falls under our accelerator and structure and work. Great. So then you basically, Village Capital is funding these folks' work, right? And helping getting it off the ground and scaling it, as I understand. Is that right? Oh, for the justice tech startup? Yes. <laughs> I would, the way I would look at this is not just a village capital effort. The American, and I'll mention this corporate because truly they help fund this work and have been co-leading it with us. They're the corporate that we've been working with. And I know when you think of corporates, even for me, I'm like, ooh, I don't know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the corporate here is American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. And it's it's led by Naira Jordan, which is a credible other woman of color leader who, you know, through both personal and professional experiences, she leads their economic opportunity impact investments and really cares about and really cares about, you know, criminal justice change and their CEO as well. And we got together to say, hey, we both look at economic opportunity but what's a better way to center justice-impacted people and families in this conversation when we're looking at startups in this economic opportunity area? And so what we've actually done, we're not at the point where 
you know, Village Capital has funded these companies. What we've done is throughout last year, both what I'll call Amfam Institute, which is a corporate I just mentioned, Village Capital and a whole community of leaders, activists, advocates, grassroots leaders, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and investors, we got together and conducted research on what does this justice tech space even mean? Mm -hmm. uh, And what role should entrepreneurs and investors have and also not have? There's a lot of ethical considerations uh, in this space. And that's why I like to say this was a whole community thing because if I said, oh, Village Capital is you know, leading on this and we're putting in money without that lens, it can it could come across as problematic. Sure. Um, I get that. I get that. Thank you. But before we get any deeper into the what is justice tech question, I'd like to ask a little bit about you. How did you come to this work? I know you have a background in, in finance in the finance space. So what did that look like for you to come to this work? Why did you choose this space? And and how did you get here? Yes, I'm sure I'm happy to share my everything that I've I've chosen to do work wise has always, to me felt very purposeful, and tied to like my personal experiences as a human being. So, you know, yes, woman of color, Latina immigrant, have come from, have had to kind of make my way both and, you know, been part of working class, my family and I, and have had to navigate how do we build financial security and pursue our other, you know, goals and dreams and figure out all college, all these systems by myself. And, And so when I graduated college, I ended up being in this really interesting it was a nonprofit at the time that was helping governments better deploy money towards nonprofits and social, what we call social service providers with that have measurable outcomes that they can show, hey, if, if governments deploy this amount of money towards these projects, here are the results that you'll get. So paying for, for results, paying for outcomes. And there was a project there that was, there were several projects that were focused on you know, BIPOC communities and communities of color. Often I was one of the few, you know, even people of color in the spaces trying to create some of these projects as I reflect on it. I think that needs to be changed. And it's the same thing in the space I'm in now too. But one of the projects ended up being on juvenile justice and helping the state of Massachusetts do this, what we call social impact bond project, where they fund this nonprofit ROCA to, who was serving young men who were coming out of the justice system and helping them with obtain jobs and workforce development and transition, you know, into into society. And that was the first experience I had, I guess, career-wise with with some of the challenges that you know everyday people, communities of color, are facing, youth are facing within the justice system locally. You know, that experience never left me and. As I entered years later, now that I'm in the venture capital space, I really care about communities, making sure that communities aren't overlooked. And again, when we have the conversation of economic opportunity, it includes BIPOC people, it includes LGBTQ plus people, it includes different communities. And I and felt like the justice impact people and families were being overlooked. And so, you know, I couldn't have planned this out. It's just through personal experiences and also professional experiences and just saying we cannot be overlooking certain uh, communities in the conversation of technology and dollars and the way that money is flowing. And let's just, let's create conversations. Let's create communities around this. Let's hold our, the space that I'm in accountable towards this. And let's start to demystify some of the barriers, which we can get into, but there's some barriers around should we be investing in uh, that we've that I've come across? Should we be even investing in entrepreneurs who are justice impacted, right? And needing to demystify that and say, absolutely, people with direct experience need to be hardcore to this conversation. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. You know, like I said, when I first saw the post about justice tech, I thought, what is justice tech? And then as I was reading the article, I thought huh, it's really interesting that corporate 
or venture capital would want to invest in this because if well i think on on at least one level it feels like it's not profitable <laughs> because it's it's in it's a a field of helping people right it's typically something that would be centered in the nonprofit space all those bleeding hard do-gooders you know trying to help people getting out of prison or whatever and it doesn't sound like at least on the surface is something that there's more opportunity there to actually generate revenue and do something with that revenue that's more than just revenue for revenue's sake so there's that but i do also think that what are the bigger questions that you're alluding to now when you get into funding these kinds of things there's ethical questions around that and then so if you're the funder then who really has the power in these situations uh, so i'd love to start you know breaking that down having that conversation a little bit just because i want to know for my own information but i think the audience would be really interested in that as well so let's try to take this step by step what is or how are you defining justice tech so the way that and it, and it took research and commute and listening to community to come to this and it's funny because we would say ask different people and you'll get different responses but ultimately where we've landed currently is that justice tech and i'll say justice tech in the u.s refers to technology enabled innovation that supports people and families affected by the U.S. criminal and civil justice system and their families. From initial contact to by law enforcement to incarceration to reentry. So at the end of the day, what, tech, what are the tech solutions that are supporting people and families that have some type of touch point with the criminal and civil justice system? And we keep it broad because the, the justice system, it, it, there are different ways to define it, but it actually interconnects or intersects with different systems as um, our research has found with the financial services system, the healthcare system, the legal system, the government system, which is like the court system, to communications. Like It's much bigger than having these conversations with community leaders, grassroots people. It just illuminated that it's a very interconnected space. And in tech verticals that investors are already and that already invest in or that have explicit investment areas in. So let's say a financial technology investor, there are some justice tech startups that could be relevant to you that because you didn't have that lens of, hey, justice tech interconnects with this, that you could be over overlooking. So yeah, I'll stop there. But that's the broader definition of justice tech. Okay. So then how does an organization like Village Capital come to the, the conclusion that we need to invest in this. It doesn't sound, and, and I'm not in the venture capital space, so I could be completely wrong, but it, it doesn't sound sexy to me. It doesn't sound like this is going to be the next Slack. This is going to be the next Uber. This is going to be the next whatever, whatever piece of technology that's going to change the world, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like it has that level of sexiness to it. It sounds exactly the opposite to something that sounds that exciting. So I'm curious to know, how do you, how does Village Capital look at this space and how does this, you know, the partners look at this space and go, okay, yeah, this makes sense. How do you come to that conclusion? Yeah, so I would say from Village Capital's point of view, the point that we're trying to make in this space is less of like village capital needs to invest in these companies. It's much broader. We saw a, a massive, so what we did, we did re research on what is justice tech again? What are the tech verticals that startups are operating with and what's the market potential? And we found that companies were selling into markets that are like billion, billion plus, like there's significant investment potential and size for a lot of these companies. And, but what we also heard from founders is, hey, we have several com factors that compound with one another that make it incredibly hard for us to raise money. So one being the way that we're looked at because we're, some of us are entrepreneurs who are justice, who are justice system involved 
we're also BIPOC, we're also, some of us are also LGBTQ, part of the LGBTQ plus community. We have these factors that alone already make it really hard for us to raise capital. And now imagine if we intersect these communities at the same time. And so we kept hearing that from different entrepreneurs who are throughout the research, who are in the advisory board and external to it. And, and we said, there's a bigger conversation right now in the venture community around how, and it's been happening for years, but especially since last summer with George Floyd and, and the racial reckoning where, you know, we, there is a lot of spotlight on, hey, how venture capital, the venture capital space is continues to overlook a lot of BIPOC and other communities. It needs to improve. We continue to have the same conversation and listening to entrepreneurs within Justice Tech also talk about those challenges. You know, it, I just saw seeing both of those conversations happening at the same time for us at Village Capital and Amprim Institute. We said, hey, we both bring convening power. We have networks of investors that we're, you know, connecting with our entrepreneurs. What if we create a conversation and movement around what does it mean for you, impact investors, who are already investing in impact to venture capital funds, who are investing in some of these verticals of justice tech, what does it mean for you to diligence and to look at these companies? And how do we mobilize dollars? So I view this as a much bigger movement, regardless of village capital, of inviting other investors to join. And in terms of like this, the sexiness question, I mean, I'm biased because the I think that companies that bring both impact and dollar returns are sexy. And I know that with millennials and Gen Z, like that is the, it's that direction is just going to continue to increase as we mature as invest, as investors, as we, as our generations continue to hold, to grow our, we're going to see that both are go hand in hand and that the status quo way of thinking of like, let's make money and maybe donate it later or, uh, let's look at money first. It's becoming an old way of, of thinking. That's that's really, that's interesting. It's an old way of thinking. I hope that's true. <laughs> yeah. I really do. <laughs> I'm optimistic. I really, like, I really do. There's this woman, Fran Siegel, in the 90s. She okay. was like, and she went to HES. She was one of the first people who was like, we we can't just look at, you know, revenue and we have to also look at the, the other impacts that our investments and that are corporate and and that our organizations are having in our economy. And people then like they did they kind of overlooked her overlooked her at her. And then the impact investment field started growing. I don't I don't even it wasn't even a big thing even when I was in in college in you know 2012 or so. And now it's just become much a much larger conversation. I'm optimistic. I think it will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, As long as we have diverse and representative people who get to make investment decisions in the, in the space. So what do you think have been some of the key drivers in getting to this place where corporate entities, venture capitalists, angel funders, whatever the case may be, are finally interested or getting interested in investing in businesses that are more that are that have that mission orientation of changing the dynamics around the criminal justice system what have been some of the things that are making that possible yeah so as it relates to investing in, in justice tech startup it's a nascent it's a nascent movement so we've seen this for example what we're trying to build right now is this justice tech lens investing movement so we did this report we're headed next is building a movement to have investors join and to mobilize more dollars. So we're at the start of it, but we've seen other movements like what's quote unquote gender lens investing. So investing in women led companies that, and there's so many reports around like how that brings higher return. There's other movements around refugee lens investing. So investing in companies led by refugees, right? We've seen these other movements. We believe that the same thing can be done around around the justice tech space. We're just you're just catching us at the the start of it. Although what I'll say is 
there have been around 200 or so investments in justice tech companies since 2010 or so, but it, it's been very fragmented. So an investor will make it into one company uh, or another, and then another investor into another company, but it hasn't been, for example, an explicit portfolio focus on justice tech. It's only in the past two to three years where there has been a couple of new funds being led by people who are coming from the justice system or who have dedicated their careers and, and their decades to that work who have said, you know what, it's time for us to create a fund ourselves. We, we, know, the entre- we know that there's entrepreneurs out there. We've interacted with them. We, and so there's a couple of funds like Decarceration Fund, who's you know, actively raising and, and creating a fund solely focused on this. And so, yeah, it, it's a nascent movement. I, I wish I could tell you, we have 500 investors signed up right now. Check back with me. I mean, I, and check back with me at the end of the year. But our goal, because our goal is to have a group that we'll be working with throughout this year and continue to build the movement. Sure. I'll definitely check back with you. <laughs> you know, since you are so deeply in this work, I get that it's fairly new and you're working to figure it out right now, you know, what could this actually look like? But from your position as just being in it every day, what do you see happening in, in say, the next five years? Yeah, well, I'm very optimistic. I'm a very optimistic person. So in the next five years, I don't have the exact number of, I will see Justice Tech Investments grow by, let's say, 3x. But I'm very optimistic that it will grow significantly more than and I, I don't have the number top of mind of, of how much has been invested currently, but that's one. I know I'm very optimistic that in the five, over the next five years, the amount of dollars invested will grow, that there will be more funds like venture capital funds that focus on justice tech explicitly, and also more understanding within the venture community around, hey, this is what this justice tech ecosystem looks like, and investors who look at some of the verticals, making more continuous investments. So not just one investment, but making a couple of them within this space and it being a bigger part of the conversation. I also think even though it's not on the investment side, there's been other effects of doing this work. So for example, for AmFam Institute, they have a, a holistic strategy around economic opportunity and justice tech. And because of this work, it's also led them to have conversations, you know, internally as a corporation around what does hiring look like for justice impacted and justice involved people. And I see not just them, but I see other corporate organizations being more thoughtful about that. And at the end of the day, if you have more corporations and, and larger corporations and technology hiring justice involved people and families, you know, sometimes those employees end up creating their companies themselves, tech companies themselves. And so that means more pipeline of, of startups being created and led by justice involved people or people with direct experience. So more dollars, more funds, and more thoughtfulness around how do we also hire people coming from this who have been impacted by the system. I'd like to introduce you to one of my favorite places on the internet the Free Body Society, an online apparel store that creates empowering t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, and accessories to inspire women to be bold and embrace their bodies, no matter their size. The Free Body Society is on a mission to ensure all women feel powerful and free in their bodies. From the perfect breathable tank for your next workout to a cozy crop top hoodie for those days when you want to make a statement or simply lounge it out, the Free Body Society has you covered. Personally, the super soft hoodies are my favorite. In fact, I'm wearing my curvy AF hoodie right now. I've never felt anything softer on my skin. Anytime I wear it out, I get a ton of compliments. And I love wearing the hoodies to the gym or out running errands because they just make a statement and draw people in. Any of the tops can be dressed up with a cute full skirt, jeans, and a blazer, 
or just throw on a tank and be workout ready. The options are endless. For being a listener of That's What She Did podcast, you get 15% off your first purchase, plus free shipping on any order over $35. All you have to do is use code SHEDID at checkout, and the discounts are all yours. That's code SHEDID at checkout. Don't forget to head over to freebodysociety.com today and hit that discount code. Smooches! So all that said, I read there's a report online, sort of a state of things, you know, not very long, just like this is the ecosystem. And I thought it was really interesting because it has all of these statistics, you know, like 10 million people are arrested in the United States annually. 6.7 million people are currently incarcerated or under some form of supervision. 77 million people in the United States have criminal records. And you put those numbers next to the different verticals that all of these tech startups are existing in. So financial yeah. health, work, you know, future of work, government, healthcare, legal, and communication were the specific verticals mentioned for these different startups. And, and I, I think that those verticals make sense. But then you put them up against these hard numbers of, of 10 million people arrested annually, 6.7 million people currently incarcerated or under some form of supervision. And I wonder, what is endgame here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's got to be hard. Like, I don't, it's so huge to me. And criminal justice issues is something that comes up on this show a lot. It's one of the more popular topics. And every time we talk about it, I'm, I feel overwhelmed by the sheer numbers. Yeah. And there's all of these different nonprofits and all of these different activists and organizations and companies trying to make a dent in this. And my question is always the same to what end? What is end game here? And how do we know we're making any progress at all? Because it doesn't, year over year, it doesn't feel like we are. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wonder, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. It's not an easy, it's not an easy question, but I, I'm just curious. <laughs> no, it's not an easy question, but it's a great, and I don't know if great is the right word, but it's an important question because it's even to me, it's tied to the ethical considerations of, mm-hmm. of this space. And I have my personal opinion around this, which is I don't want to see those numbers continue to grow, <laughs> like period. And, and, th- and this is my personal opinion because the other thing that I've found in this space is that people are across a wide spectrum of beliefs from harm reduction, right? So what it means, helping to reduce harm for people while they're in the system. Two, there's the movements around defunding, two movements around abolishment. And people are in different parts of that. I am on one, definitely on one side of the spectrum, personally. And so I don't want to see those numbers continue to grow. What I also recognize, though, is that I would love to see radical change, but it's taking a long time. And there are real people and families, not just people who have like been in the system or interacted with the system, but there's impacts for our entire families and communities around this stuff right now. I mean, even right now with, you know, the Derek Chauvin and tri- like trial, like entire communities affected by this and change isn't happening quick enough. And so I think it has to be a mix of how can we bring how can we bring in other sectors like tech to work alongside nonprofits, alongside philanthropy to help bring change for people who are currently going through the system, but while at the same time also helping to advocate for policies that grassroots leaders are having for like end of the day systemic change to help those numbers stop and to fundamentally transform how we, like what our justice system looks like. I think it's a mix. I don't have a clear answer for you. I just think like if we don't do anything, right, there are real life 
there are people being impacted right now, but we also have to think about this on at the long term level. And I don't think there's a a I don't think that everybody's on the same page of this yet. So for example, this is one of the things that we want to work with with this investor group is talking to them about what like what does harm reduction mean? What does defunding mean? What does abolishment mean? And how do you as investor and as a fund navigate that conversation with your team to say like this is where we stand on things and this is and how does that translate to the types of like tech companies that we want to work with it's a it's a complicated one and and people there isn't a a full consensus on this yet but at least for an and, and this is a big question that i also see in in other spaces of even of financial health, or I'll, get, I'll give you another example of like student debt, for example. There's lots of people with student, there's a bigger question of like, why is education becoming more and more expensive for people? Should we have tech solutions that come in and support people with student debt? And my answer is yes, for right, there's people going through these real life consequences right now and solutions that can support people right now. But we also need to think about the policy and longer term situation and be asking those bigger questions of the system. So I'll stop there, but that's my long ramble. I mean, it's hard to know. I'm always curious to try to understand how we're defining progress. What does it actually mean to do better? Is it we shrink the numbers? I think that's a, a big piece of it. You know, the, the U.S. Is, is far, far, far ahead of the rest of the world in terms of the numbers of people that we incarcerate. So there's a hard numbers question in there that we need to shrink those numbers. But it's complicated. We're dealing with actual human beings. Yeah, people. So what is happening in the larger context that we are locking so many people up? Something, mm-hmm. it's a much deeper question that I don't know that, that tech solves that part of it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Tech alone, and I, I want to make that clear, tech alone cannot solve everything. And that's another issue too, where like I want to make sure that that is an important point. We cannot solve this alone. This is why it requires whole community. What, but what we should be showing up when advocates have certain policies and showing up in different spaces so that we're talking about our work and so that we're not siloed. Because that's a whole, that's another situation that I've seen happen even just through this research. And yeah, there's bigger, deeper, at the end of the day, there's like real people and families being impacted by this. And we have to center them at the end of the day. Like this is, who is it about? It's about the people. Everything else, in my opinion, should come second to the experiences that people are having. And I feel like sometimes people get lost in the, this is really cool technology or like this aspect of tech. For me, it's like, at the end of the day, how is this impacting this person? And it, yeah, it's just really complex and messy. Sure. So how, what does it look like to... So I'm making an assumption here. I am assuming that there is a lot of convincing that needs to happen to get investors involved in this work because it's political. Mm-hmm. And when I think of investments, when I look at my, like my own portfolio, it wasn't until recently that I started really searching out things to invest in that are explicitly political, that are doing something in the world that's changing something. And, and, it's uneasy. Like it's a little bit of an uneasy feeling because it's like, are we going to get any of this money back? (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) Right. To be fair, you don't know that about any investment that you make. Um, (laughs) But But this is expressly political and it, and, and so when we're talking about questions of, of public policy, about politics, we're getting into people's individual identities and what it means for them to, it's how they define who they are, what it means for them to be an American or a Republican or a Democrat or a, a whatever, however they define themselves. So I'm curious to know what has, has that been like? Again, assuming that there's a lot of convincing that has to happen. Maybe I'm just making an assumption that that's completely wrong. 
yeah, I, I think you're catching us early because this is the, these are the conversations that we're going to be having with, we call it Justice Tech Investor Network, that we're going to have, you know, as convenings throughout this year on some of these topics. And, but what I can tell you is even from the, some of the conversations that led to the research, yes, there's like the personal identity of the person and identifying like where did they fit personally, but there's also the bigger question of where does our organization fall within this? And as I look at now and as in, in the future context, think corporate, it's funny because I was even talking with our HR on something else and he was sharing that trend, like corporations will, can less, over time they'll, they can, they won't be able to distance themselves from the politics and from just real life events going on, happening around us. And this is why you see like some of the optic statements that certain corporations have around real life events. And it's just going to become harder and harder for like, we're as an entity, we're not going to have an opinion on this or we won't, or no comment. Um, I, I, it's just, it's my, I agree. As I was having this conversation with HR, I think about again, like millennials and Gen Z and we like to see stances on things. And so as it bring it back to justice tech, yeah, I saw, again, a lot of people on different spectrums of we're on the harm reduction side or we're willing to work with startups that sell to, let's say, to jails or within the system. But then I also had other conversations with or activists and even some investors who were like, absolutely not. We will not work with companies that, that have that type of business model. and so. What I want to create as I look at the rest of this year and as I build up this Just Tech Investor Network with Anthem Institute is having safe and constructive spaces for to demystify barriers, myths, very common myths that we see, and to have honest conversations for an investor to say, hey, I focus on this spectrum and this is why. And for them to be able to share those thoughts with one another, believe it or not, it's happening very in very, very siloed ways. I think having a space for all of us to have those honest and tough conversations that isn't just a one-off conversation. It's going to need to be several, many of them is a starting point. So yeah, it, it's, I don't know if convincing is the right word versus it may be convincing, but, or influencing or opening the door two different approaches. And I don't think that investment funds and, and organizations can really distance themselves as we look at like the future. Right. What are some of the myths that you mentioned? Like hesitancy around what is investing in? in a, is there more risk if we invest in a founder who has been impacted by the justice system and, and open questions around that. Of course, our stand is like, no, we should be investing in, in founders with direct lift experience. But that's, a, that's something that we've heard. Hesitancy from some investors around that. Hesitancy where if there were, let's say there have been a couple of scandals of justice tech startups who sold to jails, for example, and then they pivoted. And investors, whenever I bring up the conversation, them saying, this is what I think about justice tech, right? And so there will be some work to expand and to say that was like one example. There's a whole world of, of different types of startups that aren't structured in that way. And yeah, so business model risk, the founder risk, there's a big question around for some of these companies around when they consider exit and and when they're much larger companies, they've scaled up. What does that exit look like? Like who will acquire these companies? And we're not there yet because we're like I said, investments started in the 2000s and picked up and a couple of years ago, but that's a big question that we have to work through as investors. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I what mean, will it, the asset for some of these companies look like? Sure. I mean, it sounds like some of the myths are a little bit 
divorce from reality because if you have 77 million people walking around with a criminal record, then you know some of those people. <laughs> like probably, yeah. right? So so to expect that somebody who has never ever had interaction with the criminal justice system can't be successful as an entrepreneur. It just sounds divorced from reality to me. Oh no. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Like, do I think that's a, this is, do I think that's the right way to think? Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> um, but these are my personal stance. These are some of the problematic myths that you see when you have a field that's, this is my stance that's largely led by but people who don't reflect everyday people and, and communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of lose sense of reality and, and these myths start to build up or that, that come from it. But yeah. I, and that's a whole conversation around that. Sure. that I, <laughs> it's a whole other conversation. Is there a particular company that you have a soft spot for in justice tech? Yes, I do. There's a company called R3 Score Technologies led by Teresa Hodge. She's the CEO of it. And her daughter also holds a leadership role in the company. You know, she's just a system involved herself. And essentially she built this company with her daughter. Is They are a provider of background reports for people with criminal records. And they have special technology that helps to provide an accurate assessment of a a person's financial readiness and reputation without the bias of that's found in traditional, you know, background texts and scores. And so they sell to financial institutions, right? Think about mortgage lenders, think about landlords, think about employers and and so they sell across these sectors, anyone that's that's conducting some type of background check on you. And they help institutions within these other systems better be able to, or better able to assess and include people who have been justice system. So that ultimately they, they aren't rejected from if they're trying to get an apartment or a home, or if they're applying for a job, or if they're, let's say they're an entrepreneur, business owner, they're trying to take out a loan, right, for that, so that they're not rejected and included and valued. And so they, that company has a soft spot for me, just because I look at, I really am interested in fintech and financial health. And that's, and I was actually considering that company for our, our, one of our fintech programs, even before we started looking into justice tech. And it was, it's led by some with direct lived experience. And, and so, yeah, that's, R3 score. Something that holds us off spot for me. Sounds interesting. Well, Marcia, thank you so much for shining a light on Justice Tech startups for us. I learned a lot today. Again, this was an area that I just didn't, I didn't really know anything about it. So I was shocked a couple of weeks ago when I read this article and I was like, what the what? <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of this before. And, and yes. it sounds like there's a lot of interesting companies out there. For somebody that might be interested in learning more about Justice Tech or Village Capital or maybe has a business that might fall into the parameters of, of being able to get the support, where should they go? So there are a couple of different places. One, if you are an, an entrepreneur and if you're a startup entrepreneur, let me start there. If you're a startup entrepreneur, and what that means is you're building a very scalable, high growth company over the that over the next couple of years, then uh, and you think it falls within this area of justice tech, or you're not sure, but you're curious about it. There's a website for you, you know, billcap.com/justicetech, and that talks about some of the research that you know we've been talking about in this podcast but in a much deeper way and also recommend startup entrepreneurs to look there's this i can't find the exact link for it but there's this article by the founders of paladin which is a justice tech startup and they created this growing database i think it's currently at 27 to 30 justice tech startups and essentially that database 
is being shared around and it's just like the report that we're we've created it's meant to create more conversation and more and to elevate and uplift the founders who are in the space so encourage you to reach out to the founders of paladin if you do a quick google search on justice tech startup database paladin i'm pretty sure it will show up and then and then if you're not a let's say a startup entrepreneur and you're just maybe you're a small business owner you're creating some type of business and let's say you you have a criminal record or if you know someone building a, a business who has a criminal record, there's this organization called Defy Ventures who works with entrepreneurs who are, are justice systems involved and impacted that we've collaborated with. And I highly recommend also, you know, just Googling Defy Ventures. And that's like Defy, like D-E? How's it spelled? D-E-F-Y Ventures. D5, okay. I wasn't sure if it was D5 or D5. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so D5 Ventures, got it. We will link to all of the places in the show notes for our audience. And, and Marcia, how can people get in touch with you or just follow what you're doing if they're interested? I'm pretty active on Twitter. I mean, even how you and I connected, I, I'm pretty active on there. And I'm very open to people doing cold outreach for for access standpoint. And so my Twitter is at M-X-C-R-O-S-A-D-O. Um, and sure, I'm also on LinkedIn, but I'll be honest, I get very overwhelmed because um, there's lots of, so, sometimes it's very random and sometimes creepy people, even though it's a professional platform. And so I like to use Twitter. For some reason, I don't get that through Twitter and, and I try to respond, you know, within a couple of days. So yeah, feel free to reach out on Twitter. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Marcia, for joining us on the podcast today. Really enjoyed having you and learning all about this work that you're doing. I know it's at the beginning stages, so I'm, I'm excited to watch it and see what happens and maybe figure out a way to engage with it at some point. But thanks so much again for joining us. No, oh, thank you. Thank you again for just having a chat about this. And yes, hopefully I can have, my goal is to share more insights and lessons learned even from, from building this group of justice tech investors and what does it mean for the field later this year. And so, yeah, I encourage you all to hold us accountable towards results and like what happened from this, right? Right. Uh, and, and look forward to staying in touch. But thank you for even creating the space for all of us as you know, women and women of color. Definitely my pleasure. Again, we will connect to all your links in our show notes for anybody that wants to follow you and learn more about your work or learn more about Justice Tech or Village Capital. So hopefully that'll be an easy connection for folks. But you know, folks, thanks for joining us. You could spend your time anywhere, but you're choosing to spend it with us and learn about all these incredible women and the work that they're doing in the world. So I appreciate you so, so much. This show grows because of your recommendations. So please continue to recommend the show. Let your friends know what you're listening to. Let them know about what you learned and send them our way. If you are not subscribed yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. But you need to hit that subscribe or follow button so you know about new episodes as soon as they are available. And thanks again for being a follower and supporter of this show. From the bottom of my heart, I love you. Until next time, we out. Peace.